0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: If you're feeling anxious, stressed, or lonely in these difficult COVID times, call Cal Hope at 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1 317 4673. Hope will persevere. Our immune <laughs> and detoxification systems are like natural superpowers defending our bodies every day.
0: I'm coming to save the town. Gotcha, Billy. You
1: mean Super Billy. But even superheroes need a sidekick. Avmacall Extra Strength unleashes the power of broccoli and beta glucans to help your body fight off the impacts of environmental toxins. To
2: the rescue.
1: Avmacall. Support your natural superpowers. Learn more at avmacall.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
0: Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
3: It's Friday here on Fantasy Sports Today. We have a lot of football to cover, plenty of baseball as well as we get you ready for the NFL Playoff Weekend. Fantasy Sports Today starts now.
0: Fantasy Sports Today. Toward the end zone, it is caught. Seattle's going to the Super Bowl! Fires up the middle, passes caught by Owens. Owens made the catch. <laughs> Pass is caught. side Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Toss to White! He's in! Patriots win the Super Bowl!
3: And happy Friday, January the third, to all of you, 2020. Craig Miss Joe Pizapia. This is Fantasy Sports Today. Here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, as always, Sean Gwostamakia producing this show as we get you ready for the Wild Card Games on Saturday, in the AFC Wild Card Games on Sunday. A lot of baseball to get to as well. And Joe, we got a lot to cover here on this Friday as uh, we kind of move toward uh, the exit of the fantasy football season and into the baseball season. Good afternoon. Good to be with you.
2: Yes. Good afternoon. It's Friday, and I'm here. This is weird. I'm, I'm all thrown off. I'm not usually here on Friday. I guess. Uh, I guess it's the start of a new year after all, and it's a a new year for some head coaches in the NFL uh, who have jobs and no longer have jobs and some baseball players who uh, continue to sign here as I believe there's over 170 remaining uh, free agents in Major League Baseball now. Granted, the Josh Donaldsons and Castiganos of the world aren't worried about getting jobs, but I imagine, Craig, if you're a Major League Baseball player and you haven't been signed yet, there's a part of you that's getting a little worried if you're kind of in that lower tier free agent.
3: Am I right? Yeah, a lot worse last year. I'll say that there was a oh, lot more concern sure. <laughs> last year where none of the top guys were signed. But uh, we can kind of start there uh, this afternoon before we get to some football where we had one, I think, very significant uh, player go off the board. Arguably the best reliever that was on the board in a uh, very weak reliever market. Um, you know, there's listen, there's some discussion. Maybe Betancis was the best guy. Maybe Pomerance was the best. But certainly in terms of money. How about this, Joe? The most money given to any of the relievers is Will Harris. Three years, $24 million, and of course, everyone remembers Harris uh, from his days in Houston where he was fantastic, but they also remember him for giving up the game-winning home run to uh, Howie Kendrick, and now he's going to end up joining Howie Kendrick in spring training. All he's got to do is walk 50 yards across the field, and he can go over to the national side. They both play in the same spring training complex, but Joe, the stunning part to me isn't the fact that Will Harris got paid because I thought he'd do well. Three years for Will Harris is something that I did not expect, so good job by him, and You know, the uh, the industry seems to be saying it's a little bit too much. And you you can make that case, of course, for any player. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Uh, But good for Will Harris, for sure. Getting paid at the latter end of his career, no doubt.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a little too much. But if you're the Nationals, you just spent a ton of money on Strasburg to bring him back. You have a window here where you have Strasburg. Max Scherzer still there now. Is he Max Scherzer of yesteryear? I don't know. We'll find out. I think in the spring, a lot of injuries last year, some issues, some things that weren't, you know, flukish and some other things that are concerning. But this is your window. So if you believe the bullpen is a deficit potentially, and we talked about this just yesterday about, you know, Doolittle and and where are we at with the Nationals bullpen and who else could they possibly bring in? And then where we get a couple hours later, Will Harris signed. So clearly they were listening to the show. I think that's the only thing we could possibly take from that. But uh, Will Harris last year, look, he struck out 62 guys in 60 innings. That's what you want. A two eight four ERA—that's terrific in the American League. It's some tougher ballparks and stuff like that where he was pitching. But I, I think it's a good signing for the Nationals. They overpay probably, but at the same time, Craig, I think you look at this and the Nationals are still in win now mode. And now, for me, the follow-up to this is an aggressive push on Josh Donaldson because I don't think you can leave Soto in the middle of that order by himself. Ryan Zimmerman is Ryan Zimmerman. I don't even know if he's coming back. If they figure he's that afraid. out yet? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they were going to bring him. I thought he had that that no. uh, other thing in his contract where they could he's bring a, him back for a certain well, he's okay. a
3: free, he's definitely a free agent right he now. is a okay
2: he is a free agent there so you've got hardly any lineup protection now i know there's been some talk about richter Robles and chris bryant that's been floating around too but you need to bring in somebody else to that lineup you cannot lose rendon and bryce harper and back-to-back years and just expect Monso to pick up all that slack that's not fair so if you're going to send this money on will harris you better spend some more money on an offensive player and i i think you would probably agree am i right
3: Yeah, but I don't think he'll end up there. But it 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 definitely could use an extra bat. It may not have to necessarily come from Donaldson. It could come somewhere else, and you know they could trade. And Chris Bryant's name has been thrown out there as well. Honestly, the thing that the thing that I think here goes a little bit beyond fantasy, maybe into reality a little bit. And of course, the fantasy ramifications from this is that I don't think that the Nationals are going to overuse Doolittle like they did last year. So I would set uh, Will Harris's saves total somewhere between eight and a half, nine, somewhere around that number. Probably probably get there, but. I think the thing to me that speaks more volumes, which is really interesting, is what in the world did Daniel Hudson want to get paid? I mean, that's a guy that was on your team, and and really was the catalyst to winning that World Series out of the bullpen. Of course, he had the story about his uh, child being born and he left, and that you know took prominence a little bit. But Daniel Hudson was fantastic for them, and they essentially opted not to take him and and sign Harris. Uh, for, yeah, and, and by the way, uh, Hudson did. I, I can guarantee you was, is not going to get paid as much as Will Harris did, but they basically decided to go that route joe so that's well,
2: harris has a better track record than than hudson i think right but usually
3: that. you try to bring back the guys that want it for you it's just common sense and unless hudson you, wants, you you wants to start again
2: maybe hudson's like you know what i want to go start again i mean that's well, not, well, I we'll have
3: to he find he... that out but that's know. that's but it but I if he ends that's up what in his cards <laughs> but who knows but if he ends up signing a two-year 10 million dollar deal i'll definitely wonder hey like what in the world because um you know harris probably the better pitcher but uh, defending a championship is something in sports that is not uh, overrated. Teams try and do that. They try and bring back as many players as they possibly can in every, every league, every season. That's the case. And in this particular case, it's not going to happen for Washington. Also, one other quick note here, Joe. Well, two quick notes, but one, uh, Angels signed Jason Castro. I think you and I both know who he is at this stage of his career, regardless of what he's getting paid. He's a defensive catcher and he's going to try and help the pitchers, right? Anything left to say about him? Not a fantasy option at all. Uh, just fantasy a option, out.
2: no. I mean, in those AO only stupid two-catcher leagues? Okay. That's it.
3: That's it. <laughs> that's it. But even when then, it, yeah. even then okay. that's a push. Yep. And uh, and beyond that, uh, Lewis Robert extended by the Chicago White Sox, someone that we come fantasy season, we're going to be talking a lot about because players, as we know, are uh, more ready than they ever have been. They're coming to the big leagues ready to play, hitting 20, 30, Pete Alonso, 50 home runs, and Robert could steal bases. So this is going to be a player that goes beyond the norm, and in some of these rookie leagues and some of these outfield leagues, he's basically a, a top twenty outfield being taken already. Joe, in terms of ADP, so uh, they extend him out for fifty million. That could be a lot more if he plays well. But the White Sox are clearly in it to win it this year.
2: I love this trend. Also, I know I know some people don't like it because they think the players should be, you know, coming up there, and the and the owners are taking advantage of these kids, and and they could be making way more money if they go through arbitration and go through the free agent process. But at the same time, does anybody think about what if they stink or what if they fail or what if they get hurt or what if they get hit by a pitch? You know, I, I, I just I look at this and you're going to say, OK, you're going to give a kid 50, 60 million dollars guaranteed money. I think everybody goes, OK, I think everybody wins. Yeah. Do they get a deal? Absolutely. The owners get a deal. The ownership gets a deal here. If if Robert becomes a stud. But you know what? $50 million guaranteed. That pretty much sets you up for life no matter what happens. And if you believe in your talent, there will be another contract in your future at some point in time. So I don't have a problem with this. The most amazing thing to me, though, was the immediate. Uh, I thought this would be a very big positive in the world of fantasy. Fantasy baseball Twitter hated this or at least started hating on him for some weird reason because of the high strikeout right now. I get it. He's got a pretty high strikeout, low walk rate. I understand that. But at the same time, I don't think we can kind of thumb our nose at a guy last year that and we've seen this happen with players before guys who go through single, double and triple A all in one year and have massive success at every single level. Those guys tend to succeed. Is the guy going to strike out? Probably. Probably. Is he still yeah. in, in Roto Leagues? Is he still potentially a 2020 guy regardless? Probably. So what are you worried about? Like people, just the overreaction to the to how good is Robert really was stunning to me.
3: Yeah, he'll be fine. The White Sox will be uh, fine as well. This will be a much improved team from last year. How improved as the season goes on and we get into January and February. We'll dive more into that. The opening drive is next year on this Friday on Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mission and Joe Pizzapia, Don't go away.
1: These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. CalHOPE, a program at the California Department of Health Care Services, can connect you with resources for mental wellness. Visit CalHOPE at calhope.org to find tips and useful resources to support your mental wellness during these difficult times. Or call CalHOPE at one 317 hope to talk to someone who can help. That's one 317 4673 Hope will persevere. These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. Worrying about physical separation, your own health, and the health of family and friends can weigh heavily on you. But with the help of CalHOPE, you can get important mental health resources and information to help you find your way in these difficult times. Call one 317 hope to talk to someone who can help. That's one 317 4673 Hope will persevere.
0: Fantasy Sports Today presents First play from scrimmage The opening drive The first play of the game from the opening play And all the way
3: for a touchdown And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today Craig Bish along with Joe Pizzapia With you here on the show It's time for the opening drive And Joe, uh, another sad day in sports yesterday As we lost yet another pseudo-icon in sports as uh, Sam Weish, former head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, passed away at the age of 74. And uh, what a what a great coach he was with Cincinnati, taking them, of course, to a Super Bowl, to a lesser degree, of course, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But certainly he will be remembered.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and I think people forget about the legacy uh, that Sam Weish had, too, that he was a quarterback coach of the 49ers. Uh, before that, a lot of people forget that he was part of that Bill Walsh Coaching tree. Um, uh, this was, I think it's 79 to 82. So he was part of that early Montana years there as an assistant coach. Um, look, <laughs> Sam Weiss was one of the great characters. And I, and I feel like that's what's sad to me. The first thing I thought of is, of course, that famous time when he got on the microphone and, and he was yelling at the crowd. Right. Remember, you don't, you're not from Cleveland. Stop throwing the snowballs and do whatever. You, could you imagine a coach getting on the PA system and doing that nowadays and making yeah, a joke exactly. like that about it? Right. And, and we live in this world now where everyone's so super sensitive. And it was, and it was funny. And I got everybody to calm down and stop being out of control. And he was just a great character, a great football guy, uh, a guy who, like I said, was a coach from 1967 all the way up until a high school. In 2019, So he was still an offensive coordinator of high school in the last couple of years, which is amazing. So from 2006 to 2019 at Pickens High School, he was still coaching football after he was head coach of the Bucks and the Bengals. And that just shows because he loved the game. And I think that that is uh, that's a beautiful thing. And you see these guys after the game who are disenfranchised with the sport and stuff like that. Not Sam Wyche, And um, one of the funny guys, one of the great personalities and one of those head coaches I know from my childhood, especially that. Even though I was not a Bengals fan, I, I certainly appreciated him. And, of course, then he goes to the Super Bowl and he loses to those 49ers and Joe Montana in one of the famous drives of, of, our, of our lifetime. And um, he was very close to winning it all. And I often wonder, had they had that drive not happened and the Bengals won that Super Bowl with Boomer and him, maybe the Cincinnati Bengals organization takes a different trajectory. I don't know. But I don't know. It's been kind of rough ever since for them. But uh, certainly has, a sad passing yeah. for sure. Yeah.
3: Uh, Major League Baseball. A uh, couple of uh, quick news and notes here. They suspend Domingo Herman for 81 games, according to Yahoo Sports, for domestic violence. And I, I think that this probably shouldn't come as a surprise, really, to anybody, including the Yankees, considering they went out and got Garrett Cole. They must have known, Joe, that uh, something like this was coming. And it's unfortunate for Herman, who got off to such that uh, that great start that he got off to last year. Uh, he'll be available the second half of the season. So, um, you know, obviously, the worst possible scenario for any person is to do what he did. And, um, you know, in my eyes, that's like uh, the biggest no-no in all of sports. And he gets 81 games, Joe, and the Yankees will just have to kind of figure it out without him. But I have a feeling that they knew that this was coming.
2: Well, I don't know if you saw this, but part of it was time served from last year and in the playoffs. So I believe the total is now in the 60s, which means he'll be back for the last 100 games, give or take, for whatever that exact total is. I don't remember the exact number, but I did see that. I think so- June...
3: Yeah, June 4th, I think.
2: Yeah, something to that effect. So, uh, look, the question is, what role does he come back to, right? And does he come back as a starter? Is he a guy that's going to work in between? I I don't know. I mean, because you've already got Severino, Paxton, Cole. um, You've got uh, Masahiro, Tanaka, and Hap is still on the roster as of right now. So, there's five starting pitchers right there. So, Herman is one of those guys, I think, in an AL only league. The stock will be completely off the map low. And if you throw a buck on him late, at some point in time, the Yankees will have somebody on the IL and he might be a worthy stash if he can stash. Now, the problem is he's not injured. He is suspended. So it's going to take up a roster spot. So that's something you have to understand whether or not your league allows that to happen or how that I don't like leagues where suspended. You can you can put a guy in IL. I've seen leagues like that that operate. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. (laughs) I suspended. It's not an injury. He's suspended. And, you know, understand the bench depth that you have and, and the format you have and whether or not it's worth holding on to him. But I could see him being a very popular waiver wire pickup in June as you get closer to him coming back.
3: Third down. Uh, what in the world happened yesterday to uh, to, his announcement? <laughs> um, you know, last night, to be honest with you, I completely forgot about it. And then around 9, 10 and then at nine ten o'clock, I'm like, you know, preparing, you know, starting to prepare at least for our show today. And I'm like, all right, well, we'll either have something to talk about, whether he ended up coming out or going back. Like, who makes an announcement to say that they're going to make an announcement and then actually not make that announcement? Like, this is a first for me. And like with Uh, nothing, basically. Now he's in Hawaii, Hawaii, I assume. So I was thinking, all right, well, you know, I'll go to bed and wake up and it'll probably come down around like 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern, which is only around 7 o'clock, you know, uh, Hawaii time, whatever, five hours behind uh, but nothing, nothing from Tua. I guess it's a really tough decision,
2: Joe. It's the only thing I can think. Of, really. I, I guess. So I guess now it's going to be Monday, is what I'm seeing here. So I guess he went back. Maybe he went back and started talking to his family, and maybe the family's like, "Look, probably saying the same thing I did. Look, Tua, baby, we love you. Go to the NFL. Go get paid. You played quarterback for a very long time, taking a lot of hits. You're 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 coming off a huge injury." Someone in the NFL is going to be desperate enough to pay you. we Have lear- Have we learned nothing from the NFL draft over the years? Some team will be desperate enough to even move up to take you. I still believe that. I understand it's a huge risk, but then again, who isn't a huge risk? Tua has done everything you can ask of him in college. I don't think he's got anything left to prove. I understand he's the kind of kid from an integrity standpoint and an honor standpoint that wants to go back and is unhappy with how his college career finished out of respect for the, for the college out of respect right. for the program, out of respect for Nick Saban. I get that, Tua. That's all the qualities I want in my NFL quarterback. And you're going to be an NFL quarterback in 2020, son. I, I just, I don't see, if he's my kid, that's what I'm telling him. You've done everything you can to get yourself to this point. You're so close to your dream. God bless Alabama for giving you the, the possibility to start and play and you had great success there. Go get paid because you'd never know what that next hit, what that next scenario is going to be and I think there's far too much risk of him coming back and negative as opposed to coming back and being great and everything's hunky-dory, he doesn't get hurt again, and all of that falls away. I just don't think he could take that risk.
3: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's crazy to think that it could come down to something else. Uh, Look, the player holds a lot of control in this scenario, especially when he meets with teams, and don't think for a second that uh, Tua and his family can't get in touch with them right now because he absolutely could through back channels and other ways, basically stating the following... Uh, my son is not playing in the NFL in 2020. He's going to sit out a year. If you take him, be aware of that. That's all you got to say. And if an NFL team is willing to give him a medical redshirt, which is essentially what they do in college, let Ryan Fitzpatrick or let Jameis Winston or let Mitch Trubisky, whoever it is, Philip Rivers, take the reins for a year. Let Tua sit out, get 100 percent healthy and become a starter in 2021. There is nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you Tua's wrong. father,
2: what would you tell him? Would you tell him what I would just said?
3: Uh, I, I would let him make his own decision, but yes, I would I would I would intimate that he should go pro without a doubt. It it makes no sense for him to go back to Alabama. The, there's only risk. There is no reward, in my opinion. All right. Uh, finally, very quickly here, uh, Joe Dan Snyder yesterday interviewed, uh, <laughs> you know, introduced Ron Rivera, who got rid of all the ping pong tables inside the locker room. Apparently. Uh, but at the press conference, uh, Dan Snyder opens up and says, Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Does that kind of summarize the Dan Snyder era? I,
2: I, Craig, I, I, <laughs> I watched it live as it happened.
3: I did not see it live.
2: I, so. I did. I, I came over from the gym. I, 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 was, uh, I had lunch. You went to the I,
3: gym? Wow. that's I mean, wow. I go to the gym is really all the time. You went to the
2: gym. Three times a week before. I don't need a New Year's resolution. I go to the gym three times a week. I told you I'm you, fit fat. I still you like to eat. started off with a
3: four, went to a three pretty quick there, by the way.
2: No, no. F- I always go to three. No, three days a week. No, three days. No, four. No, four. I, my, my my knees can't take that. Uh, I ran my three miles. How many miles did you run yesterday?
3: Every day, about a mile and a half, two miles.
2: Okay. <laughs> <Let her. laughs> so, uh, so cumulatively, we we're at the same. You run a mile every day. I run three to clip you know, we'll have a race, you and me someday. Uh, but the, the, I sat there, I, I threw a little laundry to come back into my room and I have NFL Network on and I'm watching and there he is. And I was, oh, cool. I'm going to see the press conference. And Daniel Snyder got up there and I could have sworn he said happy Thanksgiving. And I said, no, I, I must have, I must not be paying attention. That has to be me. And I rewound it and there, there it was. And I was just, I was just like, that's it. There you go. This is so. Daniel Snyder, it's so, and I can understand him saying "Merry Christmas" or something like that, or screwing up. But how does he not realize he said "Happy Thanksgiving"? How do you not realize? <laughs> just and Ron Rivera came out and said all the right things in Ron Rivera style, and then you know it's about winning and all that stuff. And I do believe Ron Rivera is the kind of coach is going to create a culture of winning there and a culture of responsibility. And I think he's actually got some talent to work with there. I really do. That this team, after Gruden got fired, I think you would agree that that Redskins team, kind of like that Dolphins team. They played hard at the end of the year, and I think that Jack Del Rio being a defensive coordinator there was a huge get. I think he's a great football mind, Jack Del Rio, who's a great player. He's been a very good coach, and I think having all that football knowledge there, if they allow them to really, in the, in the new style of the NFL, which is you hire the coach and the coach is the big star and the general manager is like the secondary guy, which seems to be the new trend, I think Ron Rivera is going to basically get to shop for his own groceries and we'll see what happens there. But two-time coach of the year going there to remake an organization that's always had trouble with leadership. I think he's the right guy for the job and I think they won the offseason in terms of coaches. There's a lot of other big coaching
3: jobs up for grabs now. All right, we're off and running here on this Friday. Coming up next, it's time to preview
0: the NFC playoffs. Don't go away.
1: These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. CalHOPE, a program at the California Department of Healthcare Services, can connect you with resources for mental wellness. Visit calhope at calhope.org to find tips and useful resources to support your mental wellness during these difficult times. Or call CalHOPE at 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1-833-317-4673. Hope will persevere. These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. Worrying about physical separation, your own health, and the health of family and friends can weigh heavily on you. But with the help of CalHOPE, you can get important mental health resources and information to help you find your way in these difficult times. Call 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1-833-317-4673. HOPE will persevere
3: caught our show yesterday that's good and if not go back on demand and listen you can listen on stitcher which is a great app Post our show every single day if you listen on itunes just download our podcast how about google play android yep you can hear us too wherever you hear a podcast you can listen to the show and you can hear us preview the afc championship so today we're diving into the nfc championship And boy, the more I've looked at these games over the last few days, uh, the less confident I am in them. My gosh, I feel like this is the hardest wildcard weekend I can recall in a long time. I don't know why that is the case. Last year, all of the underdogs won 4-0 against the spread. The year before, same thing, 4-0 against the spread. But for some reason, I'm not, I can't sell myself on all of these underdogs this year. I don't know. I probably just have to do this blindly, but... Let's start off. Uh, Saints minus seven and a half, Joe, against the Vikings. The total is 49 and a half. This line was eight. It's now down to seven and a half. I mean, I feel like I'm just going to close my eyes and pray and take the Vikings in this one. But I don't know if it's the right choice. Um, you know, some people like to overhear. Uh, you know, I don't feel great about that one either. I, I'm kind of going into the weekend with Buffalo and nothing. That's kind of the way I feel about it right now.
2: Well, I think the difference between this year and the last couple of years is... I mean, even going back a few years ago to like that, that Bill's Jaguars game too, you saw some teams kind of backdoor their way into the playoffs. They were like, oh, well, look, look who made the playoffs. I don't feel like a lot of these teams backdoored their way in. I mean, the Patriots aren't necessarily backing in. They won their division. You know, the Titans are rolling right now. Uh, The Saints are one of the, probably still the favorite in my mind for the NFC. You know, the Vikings are the one team that's kind of been hanging on a little bit. And that's the one to me where you kind of look at it and you go, all right, well, where are we here with this one? Because what Kirk Cousins is going to show up really is the difference maker. So hard um, to tell. Oh, as good as, more, yeah, it's so hard to tell. The good news is you're going to get Dalvin Cook back. Says he's healthy. He's been practicing in full. That's a huge difference maker. He hasn't played in a couple weeks, so we don't know what the trail on the tires is like or how that shoulder really is. If there's a danger of a re injury, which I would imagine there is, he says he's ready to go. <laughs> as good as Marshall Lattimore is. is as bad as Eli Apple is on the other side. So there's a possibility where you could get Stefan Diggs having a big game. Also, there's a lot of variables here. I think the over is a better bet than trying to uh, approach this line. I really do, because I think this line, this is is a game that goes lots of different ways. I'm hard pressed to see this one being a defensive struggle at the end of the day. Not the way the Saints defense is played, not the way they've given up big plays at home. And I understand I'm asking Kirk Cousins to show up. But hey, at least it's not a nighttime game, right? Because that seems to be his problem. And look, these teams have met before. There's history there. It's going to be an intense game. I just don't see it being a low-scoring one. I think the over is the safer bet here, Craig.
3: Yeah, I, l- I like the over in both um, NFC games. And in general, um, the unders have come in a lot in the wildcard week. So that's the other thing that's kind of scared me off this one. But yeah. Um- for the sake of doing it, I mean, look, if it's 8-0 against the spread on all the road teams the last two years, I'm just simply going to do that blindly and hope for the best and then um, switch my opinion around. So I'll take Minnesota plus the points. Um, okay, so the first touchdown of the game, these are per the FanDuel Sportsbook. Joe, uh, here are the choices that are at least reasonable. We've got uh, Michael Thomas at plus 480, Alvin Kamara at plus 550. So that's basically almost 5-1 to one on both. Dalvin Cook at 8-1, to one, Stephon Diggs at 10-1. to one. Any, I don't think that there's a ton of value on any of these. I mean, basically, uh, picking a receiver to score first is not usually optimal, but if you're going to pick one guy, it may as well be Thomas, I guess.
2: Yeah, I can understand that. Um, the other Cook comes to mind, too, because Jared Cook's been a red zone monster in the last eight weeks of the season here. So, I mean, <laughs> I know Dalvin Cook made this list, but I kind of wonder what the number on, on if there is one. 17-1. <laughs> 17. Yeah, I mean that that's that's where I throw the fun money just because if you look at the red zone targets for this for this offense, Jared Cook's right at the top. He's right there with Michael Thomas. So, that's a whole lot and I don't think the Vikings have a, an answer for Michael Thomas and I I don't think they've got an answer necessarily for um underneath either for for Jared Cook. So, to me that's where I would go. Um it also would not surprise me if the first touchdown here was a defensive touchdown. Uh, both of these teams are, i ranked second and fifth in terms of turnovers, respectively. So during the regular season. So if there was a turnover, a pick six or something like that, or a fumble, that to me is equally possible scoring, which not obviously is not usually the case, but because there's so many turnovers in between these two teams potentially, that's something to keep in mind as well. If that is an option that you could bet on or just maybe stay away from it because there's a really good chance it could be a defensive score.
3: Yeah, and there's more options in the next game. So let's go over this as well. Um, of, of the four games, th- this is clearly telling. This game is telling you clearly it's a coin flip um, with the Seahawks being basically a point and a half or two-point favorite at the Eagles. I actually like the over a little bit more in this game because I think the Eagles offense is starting to come around and, and Seattle's defense has just not been trustable all season long. Um, so I'm probably going to lean toward the over here. If I had to pick a side, I'd probably lean toward Philadelphia with most teams taking Seattle. So I would go the other way there. But man, I really don't have a good feel for this game either, to be honest with you. Um, probably would ride the total. Usually when the totals are 44, 45, 46, I, I usually go over on those. And then anything below is an under. And then anything above is an under. So, But that's that range for me, 44, 45, 46 where I feel like I, I'll i go with the over there. But um, in terms of analysis, Joe, I, I don't know. I mean, Seattle's in every game they play. There's no doubt. Um, they played better on the road than they have at home. In this In this spot, they are on the road. Phillies backs up against the wall again. Every time they're backs up against the wall, they win. And we know that they're probably not a Super Bowl team, but will they get Ertz back? Will Ward play well? Uh, can Wentz, I mean, Wentz is as hot a quarterback as any in the NFL right now. So I kind of feel like there's a shot here for Philadelphia to win.
2: Yeah, Jada Jadavion uh, Clowney also dealing with a huge injury who, um, you know, he says he's going to try to play. That's not very encouraging. So that's a big loss there for Seattle. Uh, he was active in that game against the 49ers, and it didn't make a difference. That was probably his best game of the year. And I think that was a big reason why they pushed that game to overtime. and won. last time these two teams met was kind of a, you yeah. know, was a blowout sloppy. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a contest. I, I think this one's an under. I really do. I, I think this is the one that gets tight. <clears throat> I think the the afternoon game at one o'clock is the game that's all fireworks and fun. And I think this game is the game where you're kind of like rolling your eyes going, oh, is anybody going to win this one? Just because I think both teams have deficits. They have huge deficits. And the one eagle strength is stopping the run. And at this point in time, I, I just don't even know how much they want to commit to the run, the Seahawks. I, I With what they've got left, I don't know where they want to be with that. I think this game ends up becoming, can Russell Wilson make the play that wins this game? And I think the answer is yes. He's been that guy in the playoffs that's been able to do that. So I will take the Seahawks in this one. I do think they win by a field goal or thereabouts. I would take the under as well. That's just my personal feeling. ton of injuries in this game, though. I mean, we don't have Carson. You don't have Penny. Um, uh, Brown is out. I mean, it's just a clown. He's. I still think he's going to be out. But how do you think this one works out from the Eagle standpoint? Because Miles Sanders has been a huge part of that offense. I know Boston Scott had a good game, but that was the Giants. So I always take that with a grain of salt there at the end, as good as he was in that game. Miles Sanders not being 100% healthy
3: might be the biggest health issue of them all in this game. Yeah, I just see both teams throwing a lot on bad defenses. I know that the front is good for Philadelphia, but their defensive backfield has been horrible all year, and Seattle hasn't stopped anybody in any game all season. So um, I see it coming right down to the end with two minutes to go, and one team has the ball on the other team's 30, and then the other team gets the ball back after being down three and kicking a field goal. Maybe it's tied. Maybe it's over. I just see a very close game. Push
2: goes to coach to me. Whenever I'm at push, I always look at a quarterback and coach. And I think the duo of quarterback and coach on the Seattle
3: side is just better. The coach on Seattle, theory, Seattle just side. Bad. I don't know. That guy's blown a lot of games I, on Seattle side.
2: He, listen, he's also, how many big games has he gotten his team to, you know, yeah. are we going to blame him for last week's loss? Uh, okay. You want to blame him for, for that? But yeah, the Super look, Bowl, P. Carroll, P. Carroll's teams are always competitive. Pete Carroll's teams are, I mean, if you look back in the last decade, the Seahawks are one of the most competitive football teams outside of the Patriots. They're right there. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, Pete Carroll has his deficits. Believe me, I know. I'm a New England Patriot fan, I remember him for two years coaching there. But at the same time, you can't knock what the guy's been able to do. And having older players age out and still keeping this team competitive, I I just, I'm not a big fan of Doug Peterson as a head coach. And I think Wentz is a very good quarterback who's done a lot with very little. But I think that all shows up in this game. And I think the experience level of the Seahawks is going to win out here.
3: All right, well, it should be an exciting weekend for sure. By the way, the first touchdown in this game, among the four games is really where the value is here because there is no clear-cut favorite. In fact, for them to make Marshawn Lynch, the favorite is shocking, but he indeed is the favorite to score first. And that's a seven and a half to one. So you could get some good value here by going with somebody else. If you choose uh, Scott is also seven and a half to one, Travis Homer, eight and a half to one Lockett eight and a half to one Goddard, eight to one, Ertz eight to one Metcalf, 11 to one Ward, 10 to one. So what you're getting here is you're not getting those big odds with the receivers because they really just don't trust the running backs to score first. But this is, I mean, this is one where even a $100 bet can bring you back almost a grand if you hit right on here. Now, I mean, I know these are always, you know, the first player to score is always a, not that easy. Right team has to get the ball. You got to wait on the <laughs> coin flip and all that. But still, like, no four to one, no three to one. That just, that just tells you nobody has a clue on this one. I like this. Scott would be my pick. Who would be yours? I'm just curious. Like that one just pops to me. I, I would definitely go off the grid outside of the running backs here. I probably would go, so go with a
2: Lockett or, or a Metcalf maybe.
3: Yeah, Goddard maybe. Yeah, I'd go off the grid. I, I would go, go away them. from the favorites. Yeah, for sure. I would take a shot. I'd maybe even take Ward. So you I go away from the
2: favorites, even though the favorites are pretty solid
3: in terms of, you know, return. Um, not really. I mean, okay. Michael, my, let me think about this. Michael Thomas, we just went over. This is four to one. Kamara is right. five to one. And then here you are getting like seven to one on running backs, eight to one on receivers, 11 to one. No, this is basically telling you that even they don't know. So Mm -hmm. you're throwing a dart. But in this particular case, I would throw that dart at an eight to one or 10 to one. And I think you got a much better shot because there's a lot of people like taking the favorites in the spot. That's that's Mm -hmm. what usually happens. And so it's kind of like the Super Bowl a little bit where it's a guessing game. But when you go to the Super Bowl, as an example, if Baltimore ended up playing uh, San Francisco in the Super Bowl, the first touchdown to score would be the favorite would be Mark Ingram, and he'd be four to one. And you're just you're getting a lot of value out of everybody else in a spot like this here. So that's usually where I would take the shot. Um, beyond that, any other things to add here for the NFC playoffs this weekend? No, you we know end?
2: what? I I think that this this afternoon game, the one o'clock game before the later game, is going to be a really fun one. Um, if Kirk Cousins shows up, it's going to be an outstanding game. And if he doesn't, it could be an absolute Saints blowout. Unfortunately, I'm hoping that he shows up. I'm hoping Dalvin Cook shows up and we have a great another great chapter in this what's becoming a rivalry and I feel like the NFL has lacked a lot of rivalries in the last decade we've gotten some you know Yeah, the Colts and the Patriots had a good rivalry for a while there Steelers and Pats has been a good rivalry NFC sometimes has lacked some of those rivalries I feel like this is one that's starting to feel like that a little bit and got some history to it so I'm very excited about that and it's hard when
3: you have teams like the Cowboys you used to have rivalries just not be as relevant And we'll hit on all the games on Monday. You're listening to Fantasy Sports Today. When we come back next, a little dive back into history. Not fantasy, but reality. Don't go away.
1: These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. Worrying about physical separation, your own health, and the health of family and friends can weigh heavily on you. But with the help of CalHOPE, you can get important mental health resources and information to help you find your way in these difficult times. Call one 317 hope to talk to someone who can help. That's one 317 4673 HOPE will persevere. These days, it's understandable if you feel anxious, stressed, or lonely because of COVID. You're not alone. CalHOPE, a program at the California Department of Health Care Services, can connect you with resources for mental wellness. Visit CalHOPE at calhope.org to find tips and useful resources to support your mental wellness during these difficult times. Or call CalHOPE at 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1-833-317-4673. Hope will persevere.
2: Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia.
3: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, Craig and Joe, with you here as we wrap up hour number one. We've got Doctor Roto and Full Time Fantasy coming your way at two o'clock Eastern. And then we will be back for uh, the Monday edition of the show right here at noon on Fantasy Sports today. You know, somebody uh, tweeted this out. I thought it was really interesting the other day where um, in 1983, the show The Wonder Years came out. And uh, I was somebody that was right in that wheelhouse of watching that show. Um, the,
2: and- the Wonder Years did not come out in 1983. What year was it then? It was not 1983. It might be 1993. That's very possible. It's probably uh, 1988, first episode.
3: So, okay, putting that out there. Uh, 1988, and it was interesting that that show uh, basically mimicked the 60s, right? Which was about you know 15, 20 years before then. Now, Joe, the thing that was tweeted out, which was really interesting, is that if we went back 15 or 20 years, what kind of TV show would be on the air now? And it really makes you think, Joe, that there was such a significant difference from the 80s to the 60s, as opposed to now from 15 or 20 years ago. It is stunning because you really have to go back and Google and you really have to go back and think how lives have changed. And it just seems like there was this big, you know, uh, clear technology boom from the 60s and 70s into the 80s. But in the last 15, 20 years, in terms of that, has very much changed. I feel like it hasn't. But maybe I'm overlooking something. No, I don't I don't
2: think life has changed as much, even though we've had a lot of technological advancements in the last 15 years. I don't feel like 2005 to 2020, we're in this huge gap. We all still had cell phones. Um, The Internet was still there. Like we were all doing those things. I think the amount of information and the way we process that information has gotten more. Um, That's that's been different. The amount of automation of our lives has gotten very different. That's changed significantly. But if you look at, you know, 1968 versus 1988 or or whatever the difference might be, that that's a that's a big difference in terms of you're going from, you know, by the time you get into the 80s, people who had just answering machines, just answering machines alone. Right. That was a huge deal. Oh, my God, I'm home and you can leave me a message at my house. It's crazy. You used to call people and people weren't at the house. You just tried again later. Like that's what you did. Ah, no one's answering. Ah, whatever. Um, it's, you know, no internet. Uh, also, I think the big difference is we all watch the same things. I think that was something you can go back to 15 years ago. And there's more of that. Even though people had cable and everything like that, everybody's still communed over certain shows, certain events. We are in a very on-demand society now. I think that's the biggest difference. And I think it's part of the reason we have a bit of a divide in this country because we don't have enough things that we all – kind of share in together luckily sports is still one of them
3: yeah that's a really good point because everybody used to gravitate around thursday nights on nbc and things like that now now no one talks about any of that uh you know game of thrones was certainly there and certain movies that comes out uh, that come out everybody is really into Uh, from the 60s to the 80s one of the big things is how we consume music i mean that was a really big deal to go from Um, And and even now, from 2005 to now, how it became digital, obviously, that's a huge component of it also. But we started to see that uh, with Napster and and other things in 2005 with MP3s. But going basically from all vinyl and all 8-track to tapes and then CDs was just a massive move, I think, for a lot of people. It made it economical. It also made it a lot uh, more feasible and more portable. And that's you remember getting CDs everything. for Christmas and, and Hanukkah and stuff, right? I mean, that was
2: like a big deal. People would buy you a CD like, oh, look, I got CD or you buy them for other people like music that they used to have on vinyl. You go, oh, look, you bought me the Frank Sinatra collection or this collection. And they made a lot of money, like reissuing old music on CD because people wanted to buy it in the newer format. And now it's like that's a huge gift giving thing that's gone away. People used to buy a lot of movies and and oh, yeah. uh, DVDs, ever get DVDs and DVDs. CDs. No, no one ever gets that anymore. But I loved no. owning the. I still like owning certain movies. I still like having the
3: blue ray disc. I don't yeah. know why. I just do. I, I think that what the most significant change in music from the 90s to 2000s was, um, you know, as you mentioned, the very well rentals of movies and music was was also very big. But uh, the 90s was dominated by the uh, the CD clubs by BMG. Oh my and, god! You know, <laughs> yes, right, that, that was how you acquired all of your cds that's how your hoarder's
2: starter kit that
3: no one could afford to go out and buy five cds at a time at 20 bucks a pop people were not doing that but what they were doing was basically taping a penny to a card and you were getting your five cds but then they locked you into spending 30 dollars a cd (laughs) later on it was just a matter of paying interest which was really all it was but it was an ingenious idea at the time they were essentially fooling people into thinking it um but, you know, at the
2: beginning of Netflix, too, in 2005, because Netflix w- existed around that time. They're but sending that was you, the, yeah, they're sending you the movies, mail service like, version. They were yeah. sending you movies. And for nine bucks a month, you can get three movies at a time. You had to send one back to get another one. It was, you know, it was the mail order version of Blockbuster Video. And it and killed that, Blockbuster what, Video. Wow. It did. But look what Netflix became, too. I mean, Netflix is, is killing a lot of things
3: because of. Now they produce their own shows. Who would have thought that would happen? Yeah, that's one. Yeah, you never would have guessed. Um, and, and personally, what I was doing, it's always interesting because they're doing this 10 year challenge. I thought we'd even go back 15 years. Uh, yeah, f- extra 15, credit here. 15 years. I was working on a TV show here in South Florida on Fox Sports, Florida, called Miccosukee Sports Rap. We used to tape it at the uh, Indian tribal uh, casino in Miami, and I did it for 10 years. And I was covering wow. the Yeah, I was covering the Dolphins. Um, all of their home games, some of their road games for about seven years, uh, worked on a local radio station here called Seven Ninety the ticket. I worked there for almost 10 years and, uh, you know, Shaq had just come to the heat and, uh, he had just drafted Dwayne Wade the year before. And the heat of course, in 2006, won the championship with both those guys. Um, in terms of fantasy, Joe, I was only playing in one league in baseball and, and, and in football, I was playing in an NL only in baseball. I had a keeper league in baseball. Actually, I take that back. I had a keeper league in that one too um but be, but I was very limited as far as that was concerned at the time there were no real fantasy channels there were no podcasts so you were basically an expert in your own mind that was that was it like like <laughs> yeah. like, like, like amongst your friends you were the guy that people were afraid of to play in fantasy leagues but that's beyond right. that, that that was it
2: now that's a big yep. difference too how, how everything you? everything's been spoon-fed to you in fantasy coverage now so it's very hard to separate yourself and that's why I think people still gravitate towards blackbook is cuz rpv is different RPV is a very different tool. It's, it's very unique. It's very useful and applicable. And nowadays, everybody is on a higher level because everybody's being spoon fed all this data and all this advice and all these other things. It's right there for the taking and it's free. A lot of it uh, for me in 2005, uh, I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream at the Philadelphia Shakespeare Festival. Uh, I was one of the, uh, the stars of that. And then later in the year, I was uh, playing the lead in an off-Broadway play. Uh, in the New York area, so um, and I was obsessed with fantasy baseball and obsessed with my home league. Our 16-team our uh, head-to-head points league was an obsession of mine, the preparation of the draft. We used to all get together for the draft mm-hmm. back in the day. We used to get T-shirts made up. It was We used to rent a place. It was a whole big thing. I miss those days. Those were fun. Uh, and it's funny because you asked uh, this question here in the sheets, what would we be covering uh, if we were 15 years ago? And you know what tomorrow is? It's the 15-year anniversary of one of the great football games of all time, USC versus Texas. Vince Young versus Matt Leinert. The overtime, the most incredible, entertaining, fun college football game that I've ever seen. And, man, talk about putting you, like, in a place again where you go, oh, wow, look at that. Remember that happened?
3: Was that at the Rose Bowl, by the way?
2: I think it was, yeah. And we we would be prepping and previewing that. That That's probably what we would be doing today. If we were on the radio doing that, uh, I was also looking back to in 2005. That was the uh, Sean Alexander year of MVP, where he was brilliant. You had Cadillac Williams, rookie of the year. Sean Merriman, that lunatic, defensive rookie of the year. Brian Urlacher, uh, defensive player of the year. Excuse me, defensive rookie of the year with Sean Merriman. Tom Brady, passing leader. Sean Alexander, rushing leader. And of course, that was the Patriots winning the second of that first trio of Super Bowls against the Eagles. And then how about these names in Major League Baseball, Craig? Uh, it was the year of A-Rod and Derek Lee. Derek Lee hit 335 with 1,085 OPS. You remember that? He was with the Cubs, I assume, not the Marlins. That is correct. He's with the Cubs. It was the year and Andrew, I should say Andrew, not Andrew Jones, hit 51 home runs and Sean Figgins stole 62 bases, who I saw Sean Figgins' name was on the MLB Hall of Fame ballot, which I thought was amusing.
3: <laughs> yeah, he'll be uh, a one and done there. He will sure. be. He will yeah, be. That, Roger that was Clemens. like the heat of the steroid era right here. All
2: these names. Oh, like. oh, God. Baseball is so good then. So much fun, especially fantasy baseball. So much fun. Speaking of heat of the steroid era. How about Roger Clemens in the Houston age? Remember that one eight seven ERA? Fantastic.
3: Like Clemens would sit out April and May and come back in June and pitch the rest of the year. I think he did it That's that right. year, too. I forgot too.
2: about that. That's yeah. right. He used to sit out April. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. He's like, nah, I got to make sure all the steroids are in me first. Uh, Johan Santana, 238 strikeouts, and it was also the year of Dontrell Willis where he emerged and had seven complete games that year. So uh, that was a pretty fun year for him. And, of course, you got the White Sox being the Astros in that World Series, beating Roger No Clemens one ever the-
3: remembers that World Series. No one. I see. Like, I always do. I,
2: I thought I remember it because it was fun to watch the White Sox. You know, it was an Aaron Rowan, right? Playing center field and a bunch of guys where you're like, like, look at that guy. Look at this guy. that. Like, can't believe this team won. It was it was kind of a fun run like that.
3: It was. But I think it's it's one of the little known. Like if you if you said, OK, give me the last 20 years of World Series champions, even the hardcore baseball fan would struggle to come up with that World Series. I don't know. It just <laughs> flew under the radar, I think. I can understand that. was well, because probably it was the White Sox, not the and Cubs Houston, in it. In Houston. No one <laughs> yeah. Them. yeah.
2: Now, was that the same time in 05 when was was Pettit with Clemens then at that point? Or did that come after? I don't remember. I'd have to go uh, back and look.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, I, he probably was with him in Houston at that time. Sounds, that's that pretty right. incredible.
2: I can't remember who the big pitcher for the White Sox was that year on that staff in 2005. Freddie
3: Gar- Freddy Garcia.
2: Freddie Garcia. Oh my gosh, man. I had all kinds of Freddie Garcia shares back in the day. I liked him. He looked like the rock.
3: <laughs> That's what I, think, I think uh, he, I think AJ Pruszynski was a big part of that team. From Yes, mistaken. he I was. Thought. I
2: remember Aaron Rowan was on that team. And I remember the 2005, um, the, that, the, the, the funny part about this too, is when you're starting to think about this too, this is when Houston was still in the national league, right. Which is another big difference right in our minds like I just I just remembered that like wait a minute hold on Houston that was National League Houston wasn't that also that crazy game between them and the Atlanta Braves that went on for like a gazillion innings or something like that too I seem to remember a game like that and the NBA you had the San Antonio Spurs winning their third title in seven years and that incredible Tim Duncan run which there's a there's an athlete that I don't think gets enough credit in our sports media would you agree with that Tim Duncan didn't get enough credit
3: well, I mean, it all came together because I mean, David Robinson was on those teams too. Robinson got hurt, and and San Antonio was a favorite to win the NBA championship the year he got hurt, and then they basically tanked. That was the first initial tank of all time. Um, they decided let's just go all the way down, and they did. And then they ended up with Duncan and Robinson, and they won three titles. So, um, yeah, kind of incredible there. And yeah, for the and it's just a different. It, it's it you think it's easy to go back in your mind's eye and. Pluck these teams out and pluck these players out, and it is it is difficult. It hey,
2: is I'm going to pluck it's some difficult. of these White Sox for you. You ready for this? Frank oh, Thomas yeah. was on that 2005 team, so they was I, still the big hurt. Mark Burley. I, if I'm not mistaken, team. wasn't he hurt though? I don't think he played. He's on, on the roster. in the World Series. You, you might be right. Mark Burley was on that rotation along with Jose Contreras, the much maligned Jose Contreras. And I knew this guy. I knew it. I wanted there was, to say, there was, it, but there was, I wasn't one sure. there was one more Bobby
3: guy. There's one more. Bobby
2: Jenks. Remember Bobby Jenks? I thought oh, El that du- guy I
3: thought El Duque was the one on
2: that it says Jose Contreras, Bobby he Jenks, wasn't... Paul Canerco, one of my favorite players. I love Paul Canerco. He was just I, every year I would own Paul Canerco. Jermaine Dye also. He was, the MVP. Yeah, he was the yeah, MVP. Yeah, Jermaine Dye. But Paul Canerco, I made this analogy last year, and I don't know if I ever talked about it with you, but Pete Alonso reminds me of Paul Canerco, like that guy that's going to hit 40 home runs in 100 RBI. And he's just going to be that rock guy for you. And he'll get a lot more credit for doing it in New York than Canerco got with the White Sox for doing it. But you go back and look at that Paul Canerco stat line. It's spectacular. Like, it's not good. It is, I don't want to say Hall of Fame worthy, but, I mean, let's listen to these years real quick. I know we got to get out. 3299, 99 27-104, 41-117, 100 35-113, 1, 2888, 39-111, 31-105. That's a pretty good player.
3: Yeah, no, he was a beast for a long time. Yeah. Nobody talks about him. No, no one does. True. It's the White Sox. They're flying to the radio. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick timeout. Best of the first hour next, then hour number two. Don't go away. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports today. As we wrap up the first hour of the show, here's what you missed. Last year, all of the underdogs won 4 0 against the spread. The year before, same thing 4 0 against the spread. But for some reason, I'm not. I can't sell myself on all of these underdogs this year. I don't know. I probably just have to do this blindly. But let's start off uh, Saints minus seven and a half Joe against the Vikings. The total is 49 and a half. This line was eight. It's now down to seven and a half. I mean, I feel like I'm just going to close my eyes and pray and take the Vikings in this one, but I don't know if it's the right choice. Um, you know, some people like to over here. Uh, you know, I don't feel great about that one either. I, I'm kind of going into the weekend with Buffalo and nothing. That's kind of the way I feel about it right now.
2: Well, I think the difference between this year and the last couple of years is, you know, I mean, even going back a few years ago to like that, that Bill's Jaguars game too, you saw some teams kind of backdoor their way into the playoffs. They were like, oh, eh, well, like, look, look who made the playoffs. I don't feel like a lot of these teams backdoored their way in. I mean, the Patriots aren't necessarily backing in. They won their division. You know, the Titans are rolling right now. Uh, the Saints are one of the, probably still the favorite in my mind for the NFC. You know, the Vikings are the one team that's kind of been hanging on a little bit. And that's the one to me where you kind of look at it and you go, all right, well, where are we here with this one? Because what Kirk cousins is going to show up really is the difference maker. So hard um, to tell. Oh, as good as. Mo- yeah. It's so hard to tell. The good news is you're going to get Dalvin cook back says he's healthy. He's been practicing in full. That's a huge difference maker. He hasn't played in a couple weeks. So we don't know what the chart on the tires is like, or how that shoulder really is. If there's a danger of a re-injury, which I would imagine there is, he says he's ready to go <laughs> as good as Marshall Lattimore is is as bad as Eli Apple is on the other side. So there's a possibility where you could get Stefan Diggs having a big game also. There's a lot of
3: variables here. I think the over is a better bet. And we'll be right back with more fantasy sports today. Hour number two, if you're listening live or if you're listening on demand, this is FNTSY Radio, Craig Mish, fantasy sports today.
1: If you're feeling anxious, stressed, or lonely in these difficult COVID times, call CalHOPE at 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1-833-317-4673. Hope will persevere. If you're feeling anxious, stressed, or lonely in these difficult COVID times, call CalHOPE at 1-833-317-HOPE to talk to someone who can help. That's 1-833-317-4673. Hope will persevere.